Welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger. A big warg to all of you. And a reminder that the five-year anniversary of the Junk Show is Sunday, April 14th at the Copper Still on Beverly Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. If you happen to be in town, come out and celebrate five years. We'll conclude the 16-second story and a bunch of other stuff. Some drop-in surprise guests, music, magic, animation, all kinds of different disciplines of creativity. Speaking of different disciplines... My guest this week is, it seemed like when we were doing Professor Blastoff, a number of the guests were from situations where I was out at a party and then just got to chatting with someone and found them interesting. And this was one of those situations. We were at a party and I just thought she was really interesting. And luckily enough, our schedules um, happened to coincide enough where we got to do this episode. So I hope you like it. This is part one with Jay Ellard. Enjoy. All right. Oh, that was a good one. Did you hear that? That was good. <laughs> wow, I don't know if I can match that. Here's your side of things. Yeah, that was good too. <laughs> <laughs> and the hitting the counter? Come on. Mm-hmm. Every step counts. I don't know how you're supposed to pour Guinness. Is it supposed to get like a frothiness to it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm getting mine pretty frothy. Yeah. That's the key. Like that. Oh, that's perfect. like a nice little cream. That's my uh, throwback to all my bartending days. Really? Oh, yeah. Where where and when did you bartend? Oh, gosh. I bartended for years in uh, Denver, Colorado Mm -hmm. at... A place in Larimer Square, this old historic district called Soapy Smith's. I know the Larimer Square. I used to go down to Denver. I went to school in Fort Collins, so oh. I kind of know that area a little bit. Yeah, I did my graduate work at CSU. Oh, sweet. But I never went to main campus. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Denver. I went there when I got my diploma. That was the only time I stepped foot at oh, CSU. Oh, it's such a pretty campus, though. I know. I totally, it kind of became a game after like the first like semester. I was like, I wonder if I could do the whole degree and never go to main campus. <laughs> and. Uh, it turned out I, I did. Um, nice. But I spent a lot of weekends in the Denver. It was down at the top of the 16th Street Mall was this mm-hmm. CSU Denver building. I'm going to push this a little closer. I didn't really yeah. guess it accurately. Um, and then I didn't, I looked at your website. I think I looked at your Twitter a, a little bit, but oh, I, no. I don't usually do a ton of <laughs> like, <laughs> research. I was going, you were Good. early and that yeah. was going to be my last step when I was like waiting for you to get here. It's like, looking through which has in the past i've like had a nice chat with guests and then we're like walking out and then if i open up my computer it's like several pages of stuff about them where they're like what is this i'm like oh i was trying to get like get a sense but i didn't do that i didn't get a chance to do any sort of like homework other than our chat the other day perfect so yeah I'm, i'm going into this just basically as um unfamiliar with your whole lineage as someone listening 
thought is perfect okay, because good. it's very on topic to what I do and talk about is helping people be in the now. Mm-hmm. Being so, in the moment and mindfulness is kind of the, the word that came up last time. Would that be the big umbrella for it, do you think? Or Yeah, mindfulness is the umbrella term. It's kind of like a sports term where there's a lot of you know types of sports. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... Uh, nuances to my mindfulness there's a lot of different skills and a lot of different practices and yeah though i've been talking about and teaching mindfulness for a decade mm-hmm. it wasn't until the last couple of years that people were like oh this is what you're talking about because i really don't use the term mindfulness i don't really talk about attention or a meditation i talk about paying attention i just talk about it in a way that seems a little bit more natural and accessible to day-to-day yeah. life do is there like a stigma attached with it especially now being here in california that people go oh boy <laughs> that is a really interesting question so in in seattle where i've been living the last 14 years versus california it's definitely a different kind of audience read on the mm-hmm. on the words and the concepts so i've spent most of my my career talking about these concepts in corporate environments that definitely have a high woo-woo meter and a high allergy to anything that remotely sounds a little too soft or a little too um, touchy-feely. And making the concepts behind some of these lessons feel safe. So if I, I avoided in, some words. <laughs> so if I went in and I had very drapey clothing and necklaces and some crystals, they'd be like, get out of here. Absolutely. The moment they'd I started like, talking about ethereal things, like, get out. Yeah. It took me like eight years to be able to like teach a workshop on energy management <laughs> because people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not like energy. It's like energy. Like what gives you energy? What takes your energy? When mm-hmm. you know that, then you can manage stress better and you can read your team environment better. Oh, okay. But we're not going to do any weird hippie stuff. I'm like, no, no, I promise. And when I first started teaching, so my first um, workshop was uh, uh, off of a book that I wrote called Stop and Think. And it talks about like work-life balance, but awareness as a business skill. And the leaders who I worked with, the first, the first guy, people are going to quit. Like, mm-hmm. They can't quit. You can't start talking about this stuff because everybody's going to quit. You would promise me nobody quit. I'm like, no, I promise nobody's going to quit. But like deep down, I'm like crossing my fingers being like, oh, I hope nobody quits. <laughs> Thank God it worked out. Nobody quit that I know of as a result of the workshop. But what ended up happening, people showed up as humans and they just started having really natural conversations and learning things about each other and learning how to set boundaries and take accountability and mm-hmm. understanding that their behavior has an impact on their teammates. When you can be aware of it or unaware of it, conscious or unconscious. And that type of conversation was, was pretty powerful for this first team. And then, you know, they got measured on these metrics that the company, you know, has these employee health polls and the scores like shot up. Mm-hmm. And that one guy who was like scared to death, his team was going to quit, just evangelized me at, oh, at, that's at awesome. the company. And that's great. I've never marketed. <laughs> so I've been like 10 years word of mouth. Just word of mouth. Just like going in mouth. like, trust me, you got to get her. Yeah. I was on a football team in high school that was losing a lot and they had a, a guy come in. They tried to talk to us. It didn't change. We kept losing after that. <laughs> But it was the first time I felt like someone was, the coach was kind of at his wits end, like, I've tried everything. Yeah. Just, we're not winning. Maybe this guy can appeal to you. And he did. I think everyone left 
thinking, oh, I, I'm going to approach the game differently now. We just weren't very talented. We yes. Very, <laughs> but the, the mindset, it was interesting. And I would, when you go in and you're, is there a feeling when you walk into a company that the corporate world as we think of it is headed by these figures that are like, we'd hire children if we could. <laughs> like we, we do not care about the well-being, but then they hear about maybe Google or places that mm-hmm. mess around with like, we have ping pong tables and stand-up workspaces. Right. And they go, if it means more production, we're all for it. But again, we would use children. Yeah. So get our people to be happy <laughs> and as productive as possible. Yeah. That's a thin line. It is a really thin line. And I've had my own emotional and esoteric journey around the duality mm-hmm. um, behind that, where some people hire me because they have to check a box. They're like, we're told we have to talk about employee health and this woman's apparently people like, so we'll hire her, <laughs> Yeah. go forth and do it. And then there are leaders who are genuinely invested in understanding that an employee who is kind of holistic is going to be a better human being, a better employee and more productive as well as productive in society too. Yeah. So I, I would like to say more the latter hires me, but it's more the, the former like, okay, I have a box to check. I heard you're pretty good. Don't break anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it used to make me really sad. And then I, started realizing that regardless of the intention of the leader who hires me, the work on the people in the room. That would, yeah, that seemed, would seem to me that, yeah. and are you ever secretly hoping, like, I hope you all quit? Yeah, <laughs> there are some, I, the companies will remain nameless, but there are some engagements where I've walked out of the room and just been like, that is one hot, toxic mess. And the best thing to happen would be that leader to resign and those three people to move yeah. on to a different role. You, and. It's, it's, yeah, people like to cling to their unhappiness and their bitterness. And, and there's this weird parent-child thing that happens where employees, adult employees, blame their managers like a parent. Yeah. You know, they won't let me. And I'm like, really? You're 50. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how about, here's a different way to have the conversation. Um, and then the, the managers sometimes act like parents and see the employees in this weird way. And, and so, like help kind of untangle some of that and realize, hey, everybody's got an accountability here. <laughs> you're adults. Does that mean bringing it out of them? Talk like in the, in your, you know, your talk basically going, what do you, what, what's your biggest concern? And when, well, they won't let me, you're directly addressing it right then. Yeah. Sometimes Whoa. it can be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. That um, sounds really tense. Or so I, I like, I've kind of been, I'm known as the, the woman who, um, has uncomfortable conversations or helps you talk about the things you're not talking about. And my theory is I have a book on stress management and, but it's a picture book cause I don't want it to be stressful when you're reading it. <laughs> so I made it like a comic book. <laughs> my theory is that most modern day stress comes from conversations you're not having. Yeah. And so I'll go in and spend a couple hours with a team and help them have these conversations in a way that feels kind of like a, a safe referee. And I set some, you know, boundaries and rules with the, the team in advance where, you know, everybody's going to be heard and let's be nice and kind, but let's talk about the issue, not mm-hmm. make it about anybody, but let's keep it about the issue. And, and a lot of times there'll be some movement where people will see, um, they're all part of the same problem. That's not an us them thing. It's a, like this is the issue, and together we're all facing this issue. Do you ever get to check in like a year later and go, "Okay, right, we resolved what was causing it." Then everyone 
figured out a new method but did they revert after a month back into like who took my coffee cup <laughs> totally <laughs> so there's one team in particular at uh, microsoft that i worked with for six years mm-hmm. and a team i say it's a team of like three thousand people in you know a hundred different offices around the world and we would evolve the conversation and it would always start with, okay, let's review where we're at and you're probably failing and that's okay because this is really hard. We're talking about behavior change Mm -hmm. and the science around behavior change, right? These habitual patterns that are ingrained and it takes a long time to undo just one, let alone a whole bunch of toxic patterns. So um, I would often speak and this one team I'd been working with for years and I, they, I had a lot of trust with the leadership, and I, they hired me to do a keynote talk, and uh, we titled it, Are You Done Yet? <laughs> and and they, I, I'd worked with this team again for years, so we were, we were able to play around a little bit and be like, seriously, I love you guys, and I love that you fly me all around the world, but like, seriously, are you done yet? Like, how many more times do we want to talk about this? So yeah. what's really, what are really the blocks, and let's go really deep this time and like really figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, I'm happy to report that team's doing really good. <laughs> hey, 3,000 people like being even remotely on the same track, that would seem impossible. It was a daunting task, um, <laughs> <laughs> I will admit, in, in, in making sure the content and curriculum were like McDonald's french fries in a way where whatever country I was speaking in, the french fry kind of tastes the same, yeah. but the dipping sauces might be different. Mm-hmm. And so rolling out a learning model at that volume um what are the core elements that the organization really wanted to hit on mm-hmm. what are the core elements i wanted to teach making sure those jived and then how do we do it in a consistent way and so at one point i had um about 12 consultants working for me who had learned how to teach some of my curriculum and content wow and had their own special sauce right mm-hmm. with how they how they delivered it is the goal in your mind that I mean, obviously, productivity for them is paramount to kind of everything else, but hopefully a 1A or something close to that is the satisfaction or happiness of the workforce. So how do you like extrapolate that or expand it over sort of a whole industry or a whole region where they are? Like, they're not only doing well at work, but they're having picnics or outings together, or they're giving back to the community, or they're having, you know, they're, they're becoming a positive in their immediate area as opposed to just making money. Yeah. Like that's that's the jam. That's how oh, I really? get out of bed. Like right there. Like let's have that conversation. And a lot of times it comes back to a really simple conversation about your values mm-hmm. and realizing that your values and it is an individual and the values of the company normally aren't that off. Mm-hmm. And if they're off, then you need to quit that company. Right. Like most of the time, there's some pretty decent overlap. And when you understand that there's more congruency there it becomes a little bit easier to see how your work is contributing to making your community a little bit better. Or you begin to see the threads in a different way of the impact of your behavior. Yeah. And you also understand that, you know, you have one brain and one body. And if you're miserable at home and you come to work or you're miserable at work and you go home, like it doesn't stop. There's not hard boundaries there. It's yeah. It blends. And so just having the conversation, cause we don't talk about these things helps empower people and understand wait when i'm living my values wholly i'm a better human being in this sphere non-work life and in work life Mm -hmm. and then the company's better for it too yeah yeah so tig who that's where we met at a party Mm -hmm. involving tig Mm -hmm. uh 
have the stories you told one time that for whatever reason is kind of ringing in my head right now as far as like how it would be resolved and like how common something like this is. So she had a, a job where there was a woman who was just kind of your office frump and she would go, huh. and someone inevitably <laughs> would go, what is it? You know, Karen. And then Tig started saying to her coworkers, like, don't acknowledge that. She would go, ah, and then Tig would go, no, no, no. And it felt like Tig looking at them as like someone on the front lines of a battle, like, hold, hold. <laughs> Everyone just went like, but I got him, listen to her. And she'd do it again. <sighs> and finally, she just, they kind of, by not responding, corrected that behavior. Yeah. But I'm wondering how often when you go to speak, they awkwardly raise their hand and go, I, I don't want to offend you, Karen. I'm just saying this is a thing. Yeah. She does this and I don't know. And so now you're the one having this very awkward sort of like, here we go, Karen. This is, and Karen's, you know, blushing and angry, but also like, okay. Yeah. That sort of thing happens. Yeah. Many times people have tried to use me to shame someone else in their room's behavior uh-huh. or to like be proven the righteous one. Yeah. 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 And that that's not, does not work with me. <laughs> like, I always bring an extra snack pack. And even though people steal one every day, and I'm not saying you do, Jim, but like that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. That's our, and so I, I do not play that game. I've had some amazing teachers who have taught me not to get pulled into like the drama and the games. Uh, but what I do is I teach about the situation. And that exact situation, I have this um, piece of content that I teach people how to com- complain. Mm-hmm. Because most of us haven't been taught how to complain. And there, believe it or not, are four types of complaining. One is what this Karen person does. Where, uh-huh. right, it's, it's recreational. You don't even need someone to hear you. are like, ah, it's going to rain today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And then the other one is empathy complaining or um, sympathy complaining. You just want someone to care. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, Karen, are you okay? Is everything okay over there? Yeah. She really doesn't want to be heard. She just wants to be seen. Yeah, yeah. And the third complaining is withholding. It's when you don't complain. Like, right, you you're pretend kind of that everything's fine. Yeah, you're total martyr. And that, that doesn't work for anyone. So just don't <laughs> do that one. What are their tells, though? How is it, you know, like, there's old Bob sloughing his way to the copier. Bless his heart. He never says a word, but he must be so miserable. Is it that kind yeah, of Yeah, totally. And like, so, and then your behavior is passive aggressive. So what you'll do is maybe you're like, you're kind of rude in exchanges, or you'll take your time responding to an email, or maybe you say really judgy things in a meeting, and no one can really figure out what's motivating the behavior, mm-hmm. because it's all kind of repressed. And we, I worked with a student in an internship in Fort Collins uh, that was a one-to-one, one-on-one, like a very nice person. Uh, but every now and again, I would I was learning AutoCAD, and I'd be 20 feet away with like a little bit of a partition but between us. And I'd go, hey, man, I'm, when I'm hitting this and doing that, this isn't happening. I'm not getting the straight line that I want. I thought that's how you did it. Uh-huh. And a good 30 seconds would go by, and he'd go... You gotta, you gotta hit shift when you're doing that. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, I would have forgotten that I'd asked the question by that point. That is awesome. And what you did was an action complaint. You're like, hey, here's the problem. What do I do? Directly to him. Directly to him. And so that's like taking accountability for the complaint instead of being like, ah, oh, this never works. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know. But his delayed response was probably like, don't ask me a question. And so yeah. when. When I get people in a room together and we talk about these things, everyone can laugh. We can have a good laugh at ourselves. And part of what I do is almost stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Because if it wasn't funny, 
people would cry. People would cry because when you're like trying to shame, you know, Bobby Sue because they do this behavior and you're looking for me to validate it, like it gets weird. And Mm so using humor a lot and a lot of times, you know, like we've all done this and you're going to do it again when you leave. Mm -hmm. You will. But you might stop yourself and be like, oh, this is what that lady was talking about. Well, I'm still going to do it, <laughs> but now I know there's a different choice, mm-hmm. right? And and that recreational complaining, that I get more emails about that. There's a couple of things I get emails about, but that's that's been like a life changer for a lot of people in that they didn't even know they were recreational complainers. And so once you know it, then you can say like, hey, everybody, I got to just complain for a second. And oh, that's the cue to the other person to be like, oh, they don't really need me to listen. <laughs> like, they like really don't even yeah. need an audience here. Or you can say, I just need you to hear me out, man. This was a tough day. Just pretend that you care. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you just do like, oh, bummer. That's a bummer. You know, you just kind of <laughs> pretend, but you still don't really need to listen. Yeah. But it's the action complaint that, that you're like, I got a problem. I don't know what the answer is. I need you to hear me that's when you need to listen to the other person, right? And when you can identify it, then it begins to shift everything. And then you see it, of course, you see it in your colleagues, and then they're like, oh, you're a total action complainer. Mm-hmm. And it's so much safer language yeah, to say, be like, is that an action complaint or is that a recreational complaint? And it takes the drama out of it. It takes the sting. They do this in movies and television where a couple will go to counseling or some sort of therapy and then later we're seeing them work through things and they'll go, I hear you and I'm validating what you're saying. <laughs> and they're almost like making light of the steps or the methods. <laughs> yeah. Do they, people must do that to a certain degree, but even in doing that, is it still like effective? Yeah, it is. And that's what, even even if you're cheeky while you're saying it, there's mm-hmm. a part of your reptilian brain that's like, oh, okay, he heard me. All right, that's cool. <laughs> even though it was like a little passive aggressive and snotty, he heard me. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's how, it's how we're wired, right? We want to see, we want to be seen, we want to validate that our points were heard. Even if they're, we don't agree with someone, we still want to know that we've been heard. Yeah. And that step is missing a lot in all elements of society right now that like I hear you and your opinion is just as valid as mine I watched this uh, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh a few years ago (laughs) I just wanted so many things are like violence and guns and stuff I wanted something really soft and I was it's just perfect for that it's beautiful animation but watching Eeyore like as a kid Eeyore is kind of like man he's just doing his own thing just like thanks for noticing but then you watch as an adult and you're like Eeyore needs a lot of attention he's got this weird narcissism of like someone finally noticed I did all this work <laughs> right there's a Eeyore on every team and I we all have so. an element of that in us yeah, too yeah. right like when you bring in your stuff, like Taoism, or are you trying to combine all these elements to like, you want each person to be at their best at their, you know, when we talked before we started recording about the dog park and you yeah. watch people come in and their behavior is oddly replicated by their dogs. A lot of times they're oh, kind of yeah. anxious and stuff. The dogs really strangely similar, and in the office, like if you were just standing up on a hilltop watching a group of people, mm-hmm. you'd slowly be like, this is how they're going to break apart. This is how oh, yeah. these behaviors are going to manifest. <laughs> so how, when you're seeing that, yeah. you know, in your environment where, oh, I've come in well past that separation point, how do you get it to coalesce again? Yeah. What's funny, after 10 years of doing this, I, I walk into a room and I, it, so normally I'm hired by like the, the CEO or the VP or a very senior level person. And then I go work with their leadership team and then their teams. So a lot of times I don't know 
the manager, mm-hmm. who's the manager and who's the admin. Yeah. Because I just, I show up at the room and sometimes I've heard their voice, but I don't know. And within five minutes, I can figure it out. That's just me. based upon nonverbal dynamics and mm-hmm. how people are mo- most times. I mean, not every time, but a lot of times you can just figure it out because teams do that. Do you always have to see the body language and movements or sometimes can you be like, I know what that haircut does. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's definitely some cliches that turn our cliches for a reason. Mm-hmm. And there's just the... Um, the, uh, such a body language thing and how people the energetically the orbit around especially when I'm dealing with some of these high tech companies where some of these leaders have like a cult like persona you know mm-hmm. and you can tell when that dude walks in the room and like people like you get up and pay attention or they'll move away from him because they don't want to be too close. It's it's fascinating. (laughs) I'm like whoa this is really interesting Um, but you can a lot of times also see like the I guess I would call it like corporate bullying. You know, sometimes the like little clicks that form. Yeah. And you can see see that happen. And so as a, I hate using the word facilitator for what I do because um, that sounds so cold for the skills and stuff that I teach. But so as a teacher, I try to work with that dynamic a little bit and try to soften it and not allow the inertia to come into the workshop or to come into the conversation, yeah. which isn't always easy. Yeah, that seems like kind of a Herculean task. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, you, no, stop talking. <laughs> you know, but like, hey, let's have some other people have a chance. It's like, wow, you guys have some really interesting insights. What are the insights from this side of the room? And just like really trying to like break up that power dynamic to invite other voices in the room. Um, and sometimes the groups I work with, you know, it's like 10 people and sometimes it's like 500 people. And so it's... Is there a preference within that? I think 30s about, like, I love that size because it's small enough where everybody can feel heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's large enough where there's a fun group energy dynamic to work with. Yeah. Um, and then I do I do enjoy a large, a larger keynote um, audience. Like, I, my, my dream talk is an hour of Q&A. Like, yeah. just give me one slide to start and let's just do Q&A because it's so fun. <laughs> like, just the stuff that people face at work is so fun. <laughs> do you, when 500 or, or say 100, mm-hmm. the, the bullying thing you were talking about, is it easier to pick out? Like, is it does a Q&A help you, like, zero in on that sort of thing? Or do you have to be just monitoring them kind of in their environment? It's more in the environment and the type of questions they ask. And the the bullies a lot of times are looking for me to validate their behavior. Oh, so yeah, I could, I'm I'm like I'm scanning my mind for examples and just only going back to film things. Or mm-hmm. I just picture a guy with a real slick haircut and a suit being like, <laughs> I mean, it's, I get here five thirty. I mean, why don't you know that sort of like, aren't I the best kind of thing? Yeah, yeah it's a Stuff little bit like of that. like the. Um, I'm trying to think of an example where it's like, well, you know, I've been managing this project for a long time and I'm putting a lot of hours in, and so. I might not be respecting the boundaries of the team, but it's the right thing to do for the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm for, I'm for the greater good. Yeah. What I'm doing like, it requires this level of kind of... Yeah. And like, that's great. And let's talk about boundaries and how important they are. And, you know, it's some of the stuff I talk about. It's like stuff we should have learned as kids or we did learn as kids and we forgot. Just sharing and simple things Just, like that? Yeah. Like, seri- like <laughs> seriously. Like, sh- like, don't bite each other. Don't kick on each other. Like, let each other finish their sentences. Their sentences. Um, 
you know, tell someone if that hurts. Like, <laughs> it's really pretty basic. And it gets <laughs> so complicated when we're adults and we have our ego and our career and our trajectory. And I always remember, too, our livelihoods at stake. And that puts people in fear brain mm-hmm. real quick. Yeah. And most times when I show up, there's a reason. Like, like it's, I rarely work with a team who's like 100% healthy and everything's amazing. <laughs> you know, that leader does exist and they're like, we want to deepen these awesome skills. But most times I walk into the room and the team's pretty... Just in chaos. Yeah, they're voluntold to talk to me. You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to spend the day with Jay. I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> you, are you from like Office Space? You remember that yeah, movie? Totally. When they kind of bring everyone in and... You know, the, our protagonist in that movie, when he comes in like in flip-flops and he's like, I come in, I get on my computer, I pretend to work, I file off an email. Uh, what else do I do? You know, just kind of going through the moment and being brutally honest with it. How often do you get that where someone is really laying it out there like, we don't like the boss, we, we, don't, we all show up to do this, it pays well, so we're sticking with it. It shows up a little bit differently where there, there's there's always some like when I see them as like light holders these like really sage people in the company who have kind of sorted it out like mm-hmm. my career is not my identity I'm going to do good while I'm here but I'm also going to live a great life yeah and I have no desire to be the VP mm-hmm. doesn't mean I don't care about my job I'm going to do a good job I have a good steady salary I'm at a good level in the company don't need to be a manager this is all awesome mm-hmm. and that archetype is kind of hated and respected in the workshops and the conversations because people are like well you've got it figured out well but you don't want to be a vp or you don't want to the next career so then i'm going to shame you for that because that's what we've been taught to think it would be the equivalent of like being in a horse race and looking over and the person next to you wasn't trying as hard as you not even as hard as they could and you'd be like what am i doing this for well you know we should all be if we're all under the guise that we're trying to win this thing there's a there's an element of like fairness there that I'm assuming yeah. a lot of people that has to exist for them. Yeah. Not that it does exist, but like they desperately want it to to validate their own perception Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes uh, not a lot of times, I will I end every talk or workshop I do with like the choice is yours. Mm-hmm. Like you, <laughs> and yeah. you gotta be comfortable with your choice. Yeah. And the choice for you might be I care more about these other quadrants of my life, maybe, you know, I'm a volunteer for hospice or I'm taking care of sick parents or I have the, a child with special needs or I have a surfing hobby that I love passionately. Yeah. And I'm going to care more about that than this career trajectory that we're taught in Western culture to think of and be okay with that. Like, it's really just a choice and then it's about being okay with that choice. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I tell people, I'm like, work less. Like, God, like especially in the United States. Yeah. And, a lot some places in western europe are starting to kind of become as intense as the united states because of the globalization of all the multinationals and this culture that's permeating a lot of companies but work less lighten up everybody have some fun like do good go home yeah don't pick up your phone don't get on email and you're gonna actually be more productive more efficient and more excited the next day yeah sure it's the self-fulfilling prophecy we create and feed our own misery and I know yeah. it. I did it. I did it for years. That's how I can talk about what I do because I was one of those corporate people. I, I worked in corporate communications at, at Microsoft for years. Mm-hmm. Like so I, you bartending, going to school, <laughs> and then you went into the corporate career? Well, I bar- bartended, um, 
uh, what? How did I get from bar? Oh, yeah, I worked in broadcasting. I'm like, wait, there was like a whole segment of uh, my life I forgot. So I worked in news. Uh, <laughs> like as a, br- assistant, as a broadcaster? Assistant news producer. No, I was on the back end. And after I, I was an intern for years. And I finally got like an assistant job right out. And I what was, was like your degree in? Like communications or something? In, broadcast, in broadcasting and creative writing. Someone, some counselor somewhere should have been like, hey, those two don't go well. <laughs> like you probably shouldn't double major in that. Um, and the news just like killed my soul. I was like, I can't do this. This is horrible. So I got out of news and went into publishing more on this, the sales and, um, publisher side of the business, like the, the actual administrative part of the business. And then realized how much I love writing communication, went back, got my master's and had different writing roles. And, uh, it was my, my master's in communication management that led me to corporate communication roles. Whoa. Yeah. So your job there is essentially communicating between two large entities. So where does the creative writing come in? We're like, hey, we want them to do this merger with us. Sweeten it up a little. Yeah, kind of. So I worked with, I love the employee audience. So one of my roles at Microsoft was basically internal PR. So there would be, we buy a company or we were going to roll out some benefit. And so how do we communicate it? What's the article we write for employees? How does that show up in India and China and Brazil and all these countries? Like how do you localize it? And so how do we talk about these things? And so I could get a little creative because it was an internal audience Mm -hmm. and there was some things because it was, you know, a publicly traded company we couldn't get very creative about. So it was essentially like the external press release, like edited slightly, (laughs) which wasn't very fun. We're going to strike what you said, this very eloquent thing here and change it with (laughs) all personnel are due at this time. Exactly. And I'm like, okay. But then what was really fun about that You're going to cut out the crunch of the leaves under my, I thought. (laughs) Exactly. Like, where's the poetry people? <laughs> um, we started, this was, you know, years ago when, you know, YouTube was kind of just starting and Facebook was just starting. And we created an internal uh, YouTube, essentially, for our corporate executives and for internal content. And I um, essentially became an executive producer oh, cool. working with all the execs, the, the top 10 of the company like Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer and and um, those guys to help create programming that would go out to the employees or if anytime they were on video or whatever I'd kind of make that happen and we tried to create this a channel for employees to share all their cool work that they're doing and that was that was a really fun role but it also drove me to collapse <laughs> like literally like I got my start because I collapsed backstage at an event and the paramedics came and everything. whoa just yeah. exhaustion yeah anxiety all the above adrenal fatigue yeah wow. full on and my doctor told me to quit my job do you did you watch <laughs> wild wild country yes <laughs> you know when because the corporate world and the cult world oh my god very similar figureheads and there has to be someone like you or like Sheila was very different from your person then but very like we're gonna make this happen this is a great event everyone bright smiles two one and then you just collapse and they're like get out oh my god I think I understand my fascination with cults now (laughs) like oh my god it all makes sense (laughs) oh yeah it's really cult like 
It feels very it's the it's videos crazy. and the whole like let's get this out to everyone and keep promoting make us look good. Make yeah. the writing make us look good, make the videos. We want everyone happy, bright smiles. It feels like a dystopian sort of if the little hooks could come down and pick the sides of their smiles up yes. like we're happy, we're working and happy. Totally. And there are some cultures that I worked in workplaces who again I won't name specifically where I left their campus and I was like that was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> like like full circle the book full circle creepy like oh my gosh like Eesh. insane but wildly successful too but wildly successful what is that and you know i think people people like to believe in someone mm-hmm. and they like to have role models and it i think when you spend your you know 68 hours a week doing something yeah you begin to kind of idolize and worship the people in front of you and the visionaries, especially in the technology world. Some of these guys are the most amazing, visionary, creative, like wild thinking people I've met. And I get why they have like a cult following because of the the ideas and the way they think. And at the same time, if you were worshiping, you know, uh, Joe and you run and you and Joe no longer work at the same company and you see him out of that context, you yeah. care especially if you saw him in like Bermuda shorts with yeah. like a stain on his shirt yeah. just running up to pick up some dry cleaning like, like Joe Joe on vacation it's like not the same as like Joe in front of the keynote you know giving the speech in front of the all hands right or, you know and it's it's this weird I I don't know I was fascinated by it um, and I you know the privilege to get a work with with Bill Gates was absolutely incredible and I got I got the geek worship there you know yeah. I was I was like incredible human being mm-hmm. and my experiences working with him super kind and and um just a great visionary yeah uh some of the other dynamics of other leaders you know who might be like lower and they're like it's just it's fascinating i think people just want to believe they want to have a friend of mine in austin went to work at dell computers in the early 2000s mid 2000s and Michael Dell comes, which I thought was, again, sort of cultish. We're like, okay, you new hires. Here's 200 people that are new to the company. And he comes out. And my friend just kept being like, he's buff. <laughs> and I was like, what? Because, yeah, like, my, he's a buff dude. He's like a very alpha sort of like, got to conquer every facet of life. I'm the most fit. I'm the most smart. I'm the most successful. I have the beautiful children and wife and da 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 but he was then saying like all those guys like it was him and the Enron guys and some of the other tech guys would go on these ultra uh, not marathons but riding motorcycles for hundreds of miles in the desert and some of the they break bones and keep riding to just outdo each other outpace each other these mm-hmm. maniacal sort of things and I was like yeah that all checks out that sort yeah. of thing like if that guy that then stands in front of 200 new hires I was once like you you can get to where I am yeah. look at my boat everyone's kind of like buying into that that thing that's you're just right. talking about like oh I could be that's me yeah. I idolize this person I didn't even know it and I don't know who I want to be so that feels okay yeah and I know I want to be successful right and that's where um, like part of my heart's just like sad talking about this because of the conversations I've had with so many people because they don't know who they want to be and there's not a lot of different role models. Mm-hmm. There's more now than I think there were a couple of decades ago. Yeah. So they're like, well, 
I guess that checks out. So that's the path. Yeah. And I was on that same path. I was like, when I collapsed, I would have told you I was living a very successful, fulfilling, amazing life, Mm -hmm. even though I was miserable. But I couldn't even articulate it because I appeared to have everything. Do you see it in people now? <laughs> we we watched this show on Netflix. Um, my Emily Rose was not feeling great. And so we were just like, let's just hang out and like watch whatever you want to watch. And she really likes what we consider bad television. And there's something compelling about it. These real estate agents here in the Sunset Strip. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're all like former models. And they work for these two little twin guys. But there was just this feeling looking at them of like, man, it, I don't. I hope at some point you do collapse or figure yeah. it out because to them they're like, I'm ultra fit. I'm looking as good as I can. I'm making a lot of money. I'm happy. But you're just watching this from afar, like, poof. I don't think you are. Yeah. Who's? I can't put that in you. I can't talk you out of it on a cab ride and be like, yeah. let me just tell you another reason you're not happy. Right. But collapse just seems like the best thing that could happen. Yep. And I, I. I've had that conversation. I've seen that conversation. I've had grown men cry in my workshops. (laughs) And to the point where I started with like, no one's allowed to cry today, but don't worry if you do. I'm a certified coach. I'm a trained mindfulness teacher. It'll be fine if you do. But that's my way of saying this can get emotional because when you, when you slow down, that's when the inertia starts falling apart. Mm -hmm. And but essentially, that's my job to teach people to slow down and, and check into that space. Is that really, do you really want to be another Michael Dell? And the answer for some people might be yes, and that's okay. Because mm-hmm. we need Michael Dells. Yeah. But for a lot of people, the answer isn't yes, but they don't know what it is because they don't know that still quality within themselves. They don't have access to that voice. Yeah. And so they're like living this like check checkbox of this idealized life that's portrayed on like TV and social media and Instagram and all this stuff without the soul connection to it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I, I always, I felt pretty lucky when I did like, you know, in high school or something, I was like, Hey, I want to be a comedian just yeah. to have a little glimmering thing in the distance that I was slowly drifting toward before yeah. finally like, all right, I'm going to go like full speed at this. Yeah. But I, now when I talk to, you know, people graduating high school or college and everyone they run into goes what are you gonna do who are you gonna be what's your life gonna be i always just try to like just pick one thing like either a place you want to go or some realm of a career that you'd like to do like a tier of success perhaps you don't even have to know what it is right but i i feel so bad for them like at that age right you can just like feel the anxiety Mm -hmm. and the pressure yeah and it's like as a as a comedian, you're a truth teller. Theory, I'm always, like, <laughs> I think I'm always telling stories these days. Yeah. But I always loved that when I was a kid. When someone, yeah. I mean, I feel like books and it, movies to some degree. But for me, comedians, it was those are the people that made me realize what the thing is, the system or whatever you would call it. Like, yeah. oh yeah, you don't have to do any of this stuff. It's just yeah. been replicated, and not even for that long, a few hundred years, really, right? Right. It's so new to like, you got to go up and get a job, retire, get all these things. Like, you don't have to do any of that. You don't. And that's like the best kept secret. Like, it's not a secret. But you can choose <laughs> it. Like, you can choose it. You mm-hmm. don't have to do any of that. And you will still have an amazing, incredible life. Yeah. And 
In fact, like this is my dream interview. I'm not. I'm not even joking here with you. <laughs> For years, I've said I just want to like talk to comedians about what I do. I like. I'm like. I want to go talk to John Oliver about this because it's really <laughs> not that complicated and it's not that serious. But somehow we make it. That's why like some of my books are illustrated. Like, come on, people, lighten up. Yeah. Like it's gonna be okay. All you have right now is now. That's mm-hmm. it. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. All you have is right now. And it doesn't mean that you're like a bliss ninny. That's what one of my teachers called it. You're right. The California hippie, like, oh, it's all okay. And I'm not going to identify with any of that negativity or whatever. It's not about that. It's just about being fully present yeah, where you are and just trusting that that moment's going to lead you to the next moment that's going to lead you to the next moment. That's why I ended up right here in this chair talking to you right now. Those are always my favorite. The stories where it was like, I was in tune with listening that the collapse, whatever it might be that was this, you could have gotten right back up and, oh, you don't know what you're talking about and right back to work and making the next video and then breathing in a paper bag at the backstage. (laughs) I'm like, why does this keep happening? (laughs) Right. I just like when people go like, huh, yeah, I keep getting something, some siren keeps pulling at me from this side and I don't know if it's your classic like Iliad sirens or if it's a real sort of, I got to pay attention to this. I like when people do end up in a place in life where they're happy with it. Mm -hmm. I think there's a duality to that as well in that. So the people that maybe didn't have that voice ideally get to a spot where they're kind and polite and nice people and have things that they can say, I'm glad I have this. Yeah. But I think sometimes people get to a place where they have conventional things and then therefore think I'm winning at life. Yeah. You know, they get to a place where I just went into a job because it was presented to me. I did this. I never had any sort of passion. I made a bunch of money. And then you say, how you doing? Great. Got two kids, beautiful kids. And got, you know, this much money saved up. I have this kind of a house. You're like, Ugh, I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think this was who you wanted to be. Yeah. Check, check, check. Yeah. Yeah. When I, um, I have a, a workshop called Stop and See, which is about um, success. And one of the activities I have people do is um, pick someone who is successful and and why. Simple activity and people pick all sorts of interesting people. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them to define uh, what balance means and what success means. And the list is the same. Mm -hmm. Meaning that success for most people at first is a list of like the kids, the house that, and this is great from country to country. That number of kids is different, which is fascinating. Like some cultures, it's three kids, some cultures, it's two, some cultures is one. It's fascinating. And the type of house, the type of car, like that's all different culturally, but there's a thing. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to going back to looking at who you perceive as successful and why a lot of times it's our fathers, our grandfathers, our mothers, our aunts, our uncles, like people who we admire and respect because of the quality of their character. Mm -hmm. And so success can be a perception, but it also can be a state of being. When we, this is becoming so prevalent when these masks are being pulled off of these people. Michael Jackson, the most, not the most recent, this has been going on. R. Kelly, like the mask has been pulled off so many times, but it's hard for people to acknowledge what's underneath that mask. You know, like, oh boy, it turns out everyone in my life was a better person than this, than someone I would have written in as my idol, as I want to be that global sensation selling tickets. Mm -hmm. And then you find out, ah, man, my dad who went to work every day and drove a bus, but helped people. And when when it was cold, let them on the bus and ride around the city, all these tiny little things that were so significant to people's lives 
such a better person than R. Kelly or whoever and whoever, you know. Yep. That I love. That like yeah. we we think these statues and things are going to be built, but in reality, it, likely it's just what you put in someone else's head as to what their memory is of you. Mm-hmm. That might at least continue for a while. Mm-hmm. L- longer than a while. <laughs> like that, and that that's the sukha. The uh, it's a Sanskrit word that means sweetness. That's the sweetness of life. That subtext. Mm-hmm. And it's the subject of my next book, like the impact, intentional impact. Your behavior is going to impact every single person you come into contact with today. And you can be unintentional about it, or you can be intentional, and you can be kind. Yeah. When you're kind, like you're the example of the bus driver, that impact on that person who they let in the bus is going to change that entire day of that person's life and how they show up at work, how they show up with their, their children, their friends, their family. That's the focus. Yeah. Not the quest for a paycheck. And learning the the skill or the discipline to slow down enough to even notice these moments. Because they're happening every day in your life and they are so rich. Mm-hmm. And then learning to acknowledge the moment once you see it. And they're so small. Like uh um the other day my boyfriend made me breakfast. <laughs> like it's so sweet like how sweet is that like really how many times has someone made you a meal and you didn't acknowledge it you just took it for granted that like that meal was on the table right but and someone, unscheduled just sort of hey just thought of doing something nice yeah. for you like yeah. and you're so excited because like I hadn't had I wasn't eating eggs for a while and like I, I can eat them now and he made this egg sandwich and he got this special cheese and he like paninied it the way I like it so the cheese got all crispy <laughs> and like he put so much love and care to this beautiful sandwich and it was like this little token of love and I could choose to see it that way or I could just be like, oh, great sandwich and throw it in my mouth and run out the door. And these like little, these little gifts are in our day every day. But when we're too busy or too fast, we miss them all. We miss the suka. We miss the sweetness. For me, it's a challenge to, I want to give the suka or however you would say, I want to be your boyfriend in that situation in that I feel good about myself. Yeah. I mean, there's that argument that like what's truly selfless. Yeah. But I think it's, if that's a zero sum thing, I feel good and you feel good. I think that's a non-zero thing. Absolutely. We become a better item or unit or an organism together because of it. I don't think there's a give and take. There could be an argument with the non-zero crowd that like now you kind of secretly owe him something or if you have an argument he'd go remember what i made you that and you didn't pick me up at the airport or that's the negative bad side of it where i go like who lives that way who thinks like that i just want to if i find myself walking along and then that little bell in my head rings that goes hey get something nice for so-and-so yeah i was like way to go brain yeah (laughs) yes i don't think this is a natural state for my brain but the fact that it did it i'm like good for you let's keep up that behavior yeah and that that's that's the voice that we want to learn to tune into because that voice is every day and the voice of you know not getting too serious or too deep but being in service Mm -hmm. and so much of us so many of us have been taught what's in it for me instead of how can I how can I make your day better today like I wake up every day sounds super goofy and I'm like I think about my boyfriend's happiness I think about my family's happiness and how can I contribute to their happiness mm-hmm. not in a way that's like unhealthy or like weird boundaries where I'm not thinking about myself but what can I do to be a part of the the happiness and joy of the people who I share my life with. Not waiting for them to do it for me. Yeah. But what can I contribute? How can I be in service? Where can I like volunteer? Where can I 
you know, take a take a phone call to give someone some guidance or advice because they're asking for it. Like instead of all waiting for stuff to come to me. Totally. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more there that I want to really dive in. Would you open yeah. taking a little break? And yeah. Then we'll go back? Okay. Sure. We are just getting started, so come back next week for part two, and we get really into. Not only more into what she does, but how she does it, the philosophy behind it, how to be a, a person and or a good person, and so much more. Just how to keep yourself balanced and um, in the moment, which I know those can be terms that are um, sometimes kind of maybe off-putting, but um, obviously you heard talking with Jay just in that little segment. It's far from it. She's so engaging and, and just really you know when you get that feeling when you're around someone like this is a pleasant human being so i really enjoyed our chat and i know people say guinness uh only tastes good if you're in ireland i find that to be totally false i thought it tasted great so if you haven't had guinness in a while which i had not get out there and try it out it's it's better than you remember it's really good um, and if you want to support this show, there's a number of different ways you can do it. Uh, the best one is through Patreon. The show is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. There are no ads other than this one. Thanks so much to those of you who do. I'm going to start um, screen printing little stickers. So if you sign up, perhaps, I've only been doing this for like the $5 tier and up, but maybe I have a bunch of extra stickers. I'll send you one. So for like 2 bucks a month, you can uh, get access to bonus episodes, which the latest one up there is with uh, Derek Hughes great magician we did a little extra bonus chatting so you can get access to things like that and some behind the scenes stuff patreon slash david huntsberger see all the stuff in there again thanks to those of you who do support that the show not that show it's this show that way i really appreciate it It helps with beer and uh music the all the electronics everything that goes into doing a podcast web hosting things like that so thank you not to leave on too somber of a note but this one is specifically like personally impactful in that um scott walker passed away and i was not incredibly familiar with his work however gene hospod who's been a guest on this show who's helped me with numerous projects we've collaborated a bunch of times she animated the first segment of this year's 16 second story if you come out to the junk show on the 14th of april you can see how amazingly talented she is And I always have an affinity for people like that just in general, but I also like the things that they like. Why wouldn't you? They have good taste in art and creativity. I like to know what they are into. She was a huge fan of Scott Walker and uh, a few times sent me different sort of breakdowns of his catalog and what was so interesting and fascinating about how he pursued it, you know, getting locked into record deals and kind of just slopping out some work. Like, here, I'm, I'm fulfilling my obligation. This was in no way artistically... Um, fulfilling then breaking out into a solo career that was widely and if you're familiar with him you're like yeah we know if you're not i highly suggest checking it out it's just an immense catalog of work that goes all over the place as far as um, testing the limits and the boundaries of just what was out there what could be done with music influenced a lot of people and one of those in particular gene and i hope you're doing all right i know she's Suffered a few losses in the last few years with her cat Lola and now this, but I feel like artists never really go away. They just leave us with their stuff and they physically are no longer here. So anyway, I thought I would leave you with uh, just a quick, this is a little snippet, a little sample of Scott Walker. Go check out his work and send a big warg to Gene. 
out there in the world. I hope all of you are doing well. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Wasn't it a good year? Wasn't filled with talking. It still moves through my heart from time to time. City after city, granite gray as morning. Heroes died in subways left behind, far behind like our love. You're on your own again, and you're your best again. That's what you tell yourself I see it all the way As far as anyone could see Except when it began I was so happy I didn't feel like Mm-hmm.